I thought I'd give, a, give you, a, there's 13, you know, of course, we don't believe in luck, so, uh, but uh, there are, a, there's a lot of luck superstitious things around New Year's that, uh, um, that I thought you'd find interesting and why we do things. Um, you know, for instance, kissing at midnight. You know why they kiss at midnight? Is there's, a, there's a superstition that the person you kiss at midnight will be your lifelong love. So it, you don't want to kiss your dog or your cat or anything like that. You want to be sure to kiss the person you think you're going to be in love with the rest of your life. Also, I didn't, never heard of this one, but uh, apparently you're supposed to eat 12 grapes. 12 grapes at midnight. One grape for each month and it'll bring year-long good fortune for you. Uh, you're supposed to fill your kitchen cabinets. Uh, you should have done that yesterday because it's bad fortune. It's bad luck. We don't believe in luck, of course, but to start the new year with no food, that's not a good thing to do. You should have some food in the cabinets. Um, have cash in your wallet. Hmm. Yeah, to experience prosperity in the new year, you must have cash in your wallet. So I hope you had some cash in your wallet last night, huh? My sons never carry cash. They carry their cards with them all the time. They don't know what cash is anymore. Um, let's see. Don't, uh, don't clean your... Now, th th this is a good one for today. Don't clean your house today. Don't clean your house on New Year's Day. You'll, you'll wash away all the good fortune coming your way. So you want to just let your house be dirty today. Okay. Uh, open the doors and the windows at midnight. <laughs> that wasn't too bad last night. It was in the 40s, was, wasn't it? But uh, open, open your doors and windows at midnight. Let the old year out and all the bad things in your house out. Um, a little fresh air also never, never hurts. Um, I've never done this, but you're supposed to eat collard greens and black-eyed peas. I think I detest both of those things. I, I know I don't like the peas, but uh, collard greens represent cash, and black-eyed peas represent coins to bring you wealth in the new year. Hmm. Wow, these sure are dumb, aren't they? Um, the first person, to, okay, the first person to enter your home uh, this uh, in the new year should be a dark-haired male. Because they, they're the first person, to, well, they're supposed to be able to bring you good fortune and also a gift. Yeah. Um, so I couldn't pass. I couldn't pass. You don't ask me to do it because I'm not a dark-haired male. Um, I've noticed last, I've taken you know, pictures when I first arrived here, and uh, my hair used to be darker than this. Uh, the kids said, yeah, Dad, you're really getting terrible. Matter of fact, I noticed uh, I was wrestling with the grandkids this week, and uh, during one of the wrestling matches, I think it was Silas, uh, Noel's old, oldest boy, said, uh, Poppy, uh, uh, why is your hair bald and thin on top? You know, getting thin. Or, and and um, rotten child. I, I, sho I shoved him to the floor immediately. And, and uh, anyway, uh, also you're supposed to don't eat lobster, crab, or chicken. Lobsters walk backwards, crabs walk sideways, and because chickens have wings, all your good fortune is going to fly away. Hmm. Huh. So you're supposed to eat pig, it says. Stick with pig, because pigs always move forward. I know that's not true, because I've, I've tried to put them in, in trailers before, and, that, and I know that's not true. But uh, also you're supposed to make some noise so you can scare the evil spirits away. Uh, carry an empty suitcase. Walk around your home with an empty suitcase inviting new adventures and end your life this coming year. <laughs> I, know you're, I know you're sitting on the edge of your seats. You can't wait to hear the next two. No, you're thinking, hurry up, be done. But write down, num number 12, write down your wishes, hopes, and dreams, and then burn the paper, uh, ensuring that they come true. And the last one, start a new calendar. Throw away last year's calendar, open up a new one. And... Um, 
I think probably everybody's already done that. We've got enough calendars around town. We have so many calendars, it's great. And uh, they tell me, they say, please take three or four. They keep it. I went, I went one place this year and they said, is, is your dad still alive? I said, yeah, take one for him too, they said. Because <laughs> if you don't take them, we'll just throw them away. Well, well, I tell you, uh, it's, uh, it was, New Year's is fun. But uh, I'm glad that uh, some people may be glad 2022 20, is over. Uh, it's been a, it's, I think every year there's always hardship and difficult things. But, but uh, we're going to talk about that today, about time and trials and trouble and how uh, God's got a plan for all these things in our lives. And if you'd like to look at Ecclesiastes, that's where I'm going to be here. I'm going to be in several different scriptures, but I just want to use this as a springboard for us today in thinking about how time, how each of us, God has given us time in our life and how we use it, um, how he uses it in our lives too, through the troubles and the tri- uh, trials and the troubles that come to us. Ecclesiastes 3, of course, is written by Solomon. And he said, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to heal. By the way, that word kill is not murder. It's, it's a different word in Hebrew, so it means to kill, not, not murder. A time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. Uh, even as Nazarenes, it's okay. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. That was, what, that was going on last night for our, in, in our house. We were not doing much of that embracing stuff. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep, a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. So yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to the end. It's quite a mystery, isn't it? How God uses time to work his grace in our life. Father, we pray that as we, as we look at your word today, I pray, Lord, that you will encourage our hearts. Lord, you encourage us in, uh, Lord, not only the troubles we have brought with us from 2022 into the new year, but also, Lord, give us courage and faith as we face the new year. And, for Lord, we know that uh, life is uncertain. You give and you take away. All things come from you, for you are in charge of all things. And that gives us great peace and rest, knowing that you love us, you're our Father, and that you are working all things for good in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, the ending of the old year uh, is always, uh, is a lot of times symbolized, uh, and the coming of the new one is typically depicted as an old man, tired and weary, you know, uh, showing the harsh effects of time over against the young baby or toddler with all the vim and vigor of youth uh, representing the new year. And for the Christian, it's a great comfort knowing that uh, God is in charge of time. That gives me great comfort. I think as I've gotten older, I've appreciated that more and more. As I see the effects of time in my own life, I appreciate that God is in charge of not only a time in general, but he's in charge of the time in my life. 
He's in charge of the time that I have. The Bible tells that, that I already know that God has ordained my days. I know I only have a certain number of days on this earth. I don't know what they are, of course. But I know that God's in charge of that. And that brings me comfort. Matter of fact, the Bible actually uh, tells us that our time is in God's hands. Uh, David acknowledged this in Psalm 31, 15, where he said, My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies and from those who pursue me. Solomon, was, uh, who was gifted by God with exceptional wisdom, reveals the blessings and the frustrations of the effects of time. I say the blessings and also the frustrations because they're both there. Uh, we read that. There's, there's a time for this and a time for that. You know, there's a time for the good. There's a time for the bad. There's a time for the blessing. There's a time for the hardship. Um, he reveals that to us there in those first eight verses of Ecclesiastes 3. He reveals that our lives, there are times of blessing. There's a times of plenty. There are times of plenty. And I think this is wonderful to have this understanding because I know people who have a rotten theology who are always struggling because when hard times come, they wonder why their faith is weak or may, they should have stronger faith so these hard times don't come. But that's, that's bad theology because God says that there are, there are times of blessing and there's times of hardship. There are times of plenty, there are times of want. There's a time to be born, time to die, a time to build, a time to tear down, a time to mourn, a time to dance. You know, a time to keep, a time to throw away, a time for silence, a time to speak, a time for war, a time for peace, and on and on, as, as we read there. Solomon goes on to say in verses 9 and 10, he says that God has laid a burden upon the human race. Due to the curse of Genesis chapter 3, of course, that's why there's a burden here that, that we can toil and still see loss. We can work hard and things still go up in smoke. You know, it's, it's, it's a frustrating thing. And then it happens the other way too where, where we can experience loss and then suddenly things turn around and we're, we win. It's, uh, it's strange. And God is able to take the hardships and trials of time and make something beautiful in our lives, Solomon says, and in our relationship with him. Joseph in the Old Testament is a fantastic example uh, of, 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 of this. Uh, I think I did in verse, God makes everything beautiful in its time. That's encouraging, isn't it? That in the troubles that we have, the struggles we have, the disappointments, the discouragements, the sadness that we have in our loved ones' lives, that we know that God understands and that God is at work and that he will make everything beautiful in his time. Um, Joseph, like I said, discovered this long before Solomon when, when he watched how God allowed him to be taken into Egypt in slavery at the age of 17. Here he is, 17, his brothers sold him into slavery because they were so jealous of him didn't, and hated him. And um, he was, uh, when he got down to Egypt, he was sold to a man named Potiphar. And um, God blessed Joseph in Potiphar's house. And soon Potiphar made Joseph, you know, the, the, the main foreman. You know, he, uh, he was, the, he was the, uh, the main guy to take care of Potiphar's house. And uh, so he wasn't very old. He was only 17 years old. And uh, it was, that's, pretty, that's pretty amazing. <clears throat> and then one day, we don't know how many years Joseph was there. But then one day, um, <clears throat> he got uh, Potiphar's wife, uh, accused him falsely. 
of a, and he was in prison for a crime he didn't do. Joseph was. We don't know long again how long he was in Potiphar's house, but as a slave, excuse me. <coughs> but he was put in prison, and we don't know how long he was in prison either, except that that total span of years was somewhere like 13 years. Here, Joseph, he's in prison, and, and during the 11th year of that slavery time in Potiphar's house, and as well as the prison, uh, Joseph interpreted some dreams that Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker had. They were in jail too with, with, uh, with Joseph. And uh, Joseph answered. He, he helped out the, he helped those two men out. And, and the, of course, the cupbearer was spared and the baker was, was executed by, by uh, Pharaoh just as uh, Joseph had predicted. And the cupbearer promised, remember he promised, he said, I'll tell Pharaoh all about you, that, that you know, that you're in here, uh, you know, uh, it's this injustice. And um, he forgot. The cupbearer forgot to tell Pharaoh. And two years passes, and Pharaoh has these dreams about, you know, these dreams that need to be interpreted. And then the cupbearer remembers, oh, yeah, I forgot. Joseph helped me out. It's been two years. And I'll tell Pharaoh and about Joseph and how he can interpret dreams and and uh, God must have jiggled the fair, you know the cupbearer's mind but but um, anyway Joseph came and he enlightened uh, he enlightened the Pharaoh uh, about what the dreams meant that there was going to be seven years of plenty seven years of plenty God was going to use a blessing of of just making harvest time so abundant for seven years and then there was going to be seven years of famine. It was ordained by God, seven years of famine. Yeah, the plenty and then the want. These were all ordained by God. And so Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of uh, leading the nation and collecting all the food, get, getting ready for the seven years of famine. And, and so Joseph was, you know, the, the second in command. Nine years later, after the five years of plenty and two years into the, uh, into the, in, into the uh, seven years of famine, se I should say seven years of plenty and then two, two years into the seven years of famine, um, Joseph's brothers who had sold him into slavery at age 17 showed up before him because they needed to buy grain due to the widespread famine. Joseph would have been 39 at this time. And they, they didn't recognize him. Maybe Joseph, maybe he had changed so much. He was wearing, you know, Egyptian clothing. Anyway, they didn't recognize him. And uh, God, again, was using this famine to accomplish his will. In the life of Joseph, as well as his brothers, and even in Jacob's life, we're going to find out later. But God was using all these good times of prosperity and the bad times of famine to enhance his work in Jacob's family, as well as to advance his plan of redemption that would eventually come through through the Messiah years and years later. When the brothers returned a second time to Egypt to get more food, um, Joseph revealed his identity to his brothers. And Joseph uh, revealed that God was in charge of all the good and the hardship that he had experienced in order to preserve a remnant for Israel. Joseph then brought his father Jacob and his brothers and all the family to Egypt. And Jacob lived with Joseph another 17 years. Isn't that amazing? And after Jacob's death, 
the brothers were fearful that Joseph then would get revenge upon them and so they created a lie they made up a lie saying that hey dad has asked asked us to tell you to forgive us for what we did to you back when you were 17 years old and Joseph had already forgiven them and remember what he said what you intended for evil God meant to eventually become good That's the way time is. That's why God uses time. He uses the hardship of time to work on our lives, to work on our characters, to work on our faith, to work on our relationship with Him because He's, he's working to bring about something good. Hmm. Paul, he goes on to say, he kind of enhances this thought, doesn't he? When Romans 8.28 he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good, for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But once God has a purpose for our lives, and that is to save us from our sins, to save us from his wrath, to save us, save us from the fiery, de, fiery de destruction of this world, just like he saved Noah and his family in that first global judgment of the flood through the ark. Well, Jesus is now our ark. Amen? Amen. God's purpose for you and me is, is to more and more shape us, to hone us, to whittle us, to conform our minds, our thinking, to conform our hearts, the loves, the desires of our heart to the image of Jesus, to the, to the character of Jesus. Um, it is this purpose that enhances, that deepens, that strengthens, and endears our relationship with God. That's loving God more is the purpose of going through time and trials and trouble to deepen our love for the Lord. You would think it'd be just the opposite, and that's what the devil thinks too. That if I can just make life miserable for him, he'll curse God. But Job showed us that it was just the opposite. That trials are meant to enhance, to, to deepen, to endear our relationship with God. Let's look again at what, Sol what Solomon says here in Ecclesiastes 7.14. Enjoy prosperity while you can, but when hard times strike, realize that both come from God. Remember that nothing is certain in this life. Job was well grounded in his understanding of how God uses time in our lives by the giving and the taking in order to work his will and grace in us and through us by, by providing good times and also by bringing us valleys as well. After Job lost his wealth and lost his family, you remember what he said? He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. Wow. Job had an understanding of time. He had an understanding of God's sovereignty over us and God's goodness, his good plan for us. I remember I preached that principle one time in uh, one of my pastorates and uh, one of my parishioners took really strong issue with me later on with that. She held that God never takes anything away from his children. That's what she, and uh, she really believed that too. 
she said, he always gives. It's only the devil who steals and kills, which is true. The devil does do that, by the way the scripture says so. She would say, God's will for us is always to be sunshine, gentle rain, and rainbows. And if it's not so in your life, it's because you don't have enough faith. I can never change your mind on that. Uh, sadly, that is such an immature and such a heretical viewpoint of Scripture and theology and the sanctifying work of God's grace in our lives. Because even Jesus said that we would have much tribulation in this world, but not to fear, right? For he has overcome the world. John, John 16, 33. Ones, don't fear when trouble comes. Jesus is in, is in control, even when tribulation that the devil throws at us is, is allowed, or the Lord allows. Solomon, he continues on here on this, and uh, we've kind of hinted at this. He says, in his time, God will make everything beautiful in your life. He also has set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. <laughs> Maybe that's why in heaven, God will, we will be able to see more clearly how God has worked his grace in our life. I was talking to Becky this week. I, I said, honey, you know, sometimes there's some trials I go through. I don't see, I don't understand the purpose of what they accomplished. I don't, I don't see what they've done in my life. And she agreed. She said, yeah, it, it, sometimes it doesn't, well, I don't exactly know what God was doing there. And, and, uh, but then there's sometimes we do see it. Oh yeah, I see, I see what he did there. And other times we don't see it. Matter of fact, maybe most of the time we don't see it. Maybe most of the time we just are glad the trial's over. <laughs> we got through it and uh, that, that the healing came or the, or the argument was settled or the, or the bill was paid, whatever it is. You know, the house was sold or whatever. Maybe we don't see it all. But I think in heaven we're going to see it. We're going to see so clearly the fog is going to be taken away. We're no longer seen through a glass darkly. We're going to see it in heaven. The marvelous grace of God's intricate grace working in our lives. It's going to be amazing. Yes, just simply amazing. Um, because you and I are created in God's image, God has placed a longing in our hearts. And that longing is even made, made much more clear when Jesus is our Lord. But we have this deep longing to experience the unknown in eternity. You know, no one is looking forward to dying today. I'm not saying that. But at the same time, in our hearts, we have this longing to know, I know a day's coming when I'm going to die and that I, I am anxious to know what that's like, but what the world beyond is all about. Because God has planted eternity in our hearts. It's there. We have this longing, this desire to know God. I'm, I read about missionary stories. Uh, Don, Don Richardson is one. I think he wrote a book called Eternity in Their Hearts. He talks about how that in many cultures around the world, he said that, that when missionaries get there, all they have to do is figure out where the eternity part, how, how to communicate the gospel in a manner to that culture that they would understand because there's eternity in their hearts already. God is able again to, to take the, the, the good and the bad things that we experience because we created in God's image. 
He's placed a longing in our hearts. That is longing, again, is even made deeper because we know the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have a yearning for uh, enjoying the, the infinite, the immortal, and the divine. Now, loved ones, God has given us that longing for eternity, but he's not revealed very much about it. And we've talked about that before. There's not much in the Bible that tells us exactly what heaven is going gonna, is gonna to be like. We don't know what it's going to be like. This, this just keeps the yearning for eternity alive in our hearts. And, uh, and I think we're going to marvel over and over again at the wonder and wisdom and love of God. How he used time, because there will be no time then, but how he used time in this age, how he used time to work his special grace in our lives through the good, the bad, the hard, the easy, the blessed, and the heartbreaking times, making us to see that we can never be fulfilled without being filled with him. Augustine wrote something, and uh, you've probably read this sometime in your, in your devotions, you know, that you've made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find peace in you. I'd like to close uh, with a thought for you. And as Pastor Tom says, that only means another 15 minutes. Uh, but uh, no, I'd like to close uh, this New Year's Sunday with a final thought for you. And um, let me read to you in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Very familiar scriptures for you. I don't have it up here for you. Just, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness, uh, darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness and God called the light day and the darkness he called night. Now listen. And there was evening. And there was morning. And this was the first day. Pay close attention to that. There was evening. And there was morning. And this was the first day. This amazing story of creation is a beautiful revelation of who God is and how he works in our life. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing account of how God, his grace functions in, in our life. It, 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 reveals his, it reveals what he's all about. It reveals his character. It reveals his, his intentions toward us, his creation. It is really quite amazing. In the beginning, God. This is when God created time. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. Time began right then. Some people say, didn't, you begin, didn't it start on the fourth day when the sun and moon? No, no, no. It started on that, that very, this was the first day. In the beginning, God created. This was the beginning. This was his calendar clock. It began ticking then, if you will, uh, for this world and for each of our individual lives as well. The word for God here is a Hebrew word called Elohim. And it is a, it's a plural term. It's a plural term and used for the supreme being over, oh, almost over well, almost 2,000 times, I should say, in the Old Testament. Elohim is, is, uh, is mentioned uh, 2,000 times in the Old, Old Testament. Now listen to this. Despite the plurality of the name, it connects, when it's connected with the verbs and adjectives, it is always singular. <laughs> and I, Petey, what in the world are you talking about? Well, in the very first book of the Bible, there's embedded in the very name of God himself, a suggestion that God 
is three in one. In the very first verse of the Bible, very first, the first three words, first, uh, uh, first four, four words, excuse me, that God is three in one. We see that hint of God revealing himself in a trinity. And at the same time, this witness of unity, that God was not in conflict with himself, but that God was, God was there doing something good and something wholesome. God created the heavens. In the Bible, the heavens mean that he created the sky, created the atmosphere, and also that means he created, the, uh, he created the, the galaxies, the constellations. That's what the heavens mean. He created the sky. He created the constellations. He created the earth, which suggests that at the same time he created the earth, he also created all the other planets. All the other planets he created at the same time. Mars and Mercury, Jupiter, Saturn, all these things, all the planets and all the galaxies. He created them at the same time as he created the earth. But he said they were without form and void. They were empty and full of darkness. The earth was without life, without form, like all the other planets everywhere. And we see that evidence today that all of our planets, there's no way any planet in our solar system can sustain life. So God picked the earth. The earth is unique in this sense. Um, like all the planets everywhere, void of life. Uh, the earth uh, is the only one that can, can sustain life now. Our sister planets can't sustain life, but our, this planet is, uh, can sustain it because God took the earth and he made it unique. He made it special. He made it precise. Just the right amount of water, just the right atmospheric gases, just the right amount of light and heat and gravity able to sustain life. Scientists have discovered there are literally hundreds of peculiar and necessary factors that had to come together exactly to make life possible on earth. The third person of the Godhead was hovering over the waters. The Bible says. It says, created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. The darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Hmm. The word hover. Excuse me. The word hover actually means to brood. It's kind of like a chicken, you know, uh, on, a, on a nest. Uh, warming up eggs, you know, to, to bring forth life. And the, the word actually means to brood or, and this is not a word, but I made it up, so bear with me, but it means to be tremoring or slightly shaking with love. This is our God in the first four verses here. The first four words, I should say. The first verse. That God revealed himself as one who was powerful, as one who was brooding, uh, trembling, slightly shaking with love. The world could never have evolved. There's no way possible. Chaos doesn't produce order. Death never produces life. Only the Father, Son, and the Spirit could bring order out of chaos, life out of nothingness and darkness. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, this isn't sunlight. This is the glory of the, of the Lord. The light of the Lord was instantly on. Have you ever, ever gone into a dark room and turned on the light? You know, and boom, it's on. This is what this, this is when the God said, let there be light. It didn't slowly come on. It, didn't, it wasn't from dim to bright. It just instantly, bam, it was, it was bright. It the glory of his, of his, of his glory, his, his light. It was instant light and time began. 
And Paul says in a similar way that God, he quotes, he uses this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that God lights up our lives in a moment of time. Do you remember when he lit up your life? Remember when he revealed Christ to you? Remember when all of a sudden you were convicted of your sins and you saw your need for a Savior and suddenly spiritual light came to your life and you repented of your sins and you were born again? That's what Paul is talking about here. God revealed himself through Christ, shining his truth and life and love upon your heart. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God said, Let light shine out of darkness and made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light and the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So this point I want to leave you with, my friends, that the light of the knowledge of God is in our hearts. And even though we will go through dark days in this coming year, God is working in us, working his light, working his goodness, his, his pleasurable love. He is trembling with love, shaking with love within us. He's working his will. He's working his plan that he created us in the first place for and all of it in order to know him better and whether it be days of, of much or whether it be days of little whether it be days of ease or whether it be days of struggle he is with us and will accomplish his design that he intended for your life it goes like this that out of the evening came the first day it's out of the darkness that came the first day. Out of the darkness came the light. Out of the wilderness came the promised land. Out of Good Friday came Resurrection Sunday. God always brings something good out of what was evil. Amen. Pray that God who began the good work in you, He will continue to do that until it's finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that is so encouraging to us today. Lord, we know from experience in our lives that, that we know that troublesome days are ahead for us. Like Solomon said, every, every day is uncertain. Life's uncertain. But we have great faith and great confidence knowing that you're in charge of our days. Lord, nothing can harm us that hasn't uh, been come through your fingers first. Nothing can bless us that hasn't come through your fingers first as well. We thank you, Lord, for this great calmness we have, this trust we can have in you, this, this firm, established um, uh, faith in you that helps us to, to stand strong and courageous in the winds of a, of a wicked world. For we know that you are, even when you allow evil days to happen to us, Lord, you are working your purpose, honing us and shaping us and molding us in your image, deepening your love, or the awareness of your love in our life for you, and deepening our love, Lord, for you. Well, we pray today that uh, you'll help us, you'll give us... Um, enlightened hearts, growing spirits, growing understanding of the marvelousness of Jesus in these uh, next days of 2023. I pray that you will help us to grow in faith, help us to grow in our love for you, 
Help us to be a brighter light, Lord, to people around us who need to know Jesus. And we will be ever so grateful and so appreciative of the, the wonder that you loved us to begin with. In your name we pray. Amen. Happy New Year, everyone. Let's stand together. It's too late to kiss anybody, so just give somebody a handshake, okay?